I think you guys would agree with me as we look at the events of this past week that we are in spiritual warfare. I have been teaching you about the aspects of spiritual war for a few weeks now, several weeks actually, and you understand that spiritual war is ongoing at all times, and we always have to be ready, we always have to have our armor ready to engage these spiritual warfare, especially when we're being attacked. The events of this past week have just made it more evident because as we as Christians, as we feel the discouragement from what is happening out in the world, as we feel the discouragement over how the process of election and government and the shortcomings of man and the way people have been responding, as we see and feel all of that, we recognize that we too can be tempted to put our hopes into this world. And when it is when you feel the frustrations, when you feel down, when you wake up and you're thinking, wow, I don't feel like doing anything today because I am so bummed out, I am so depressed, I am so distraught over what is happening. That is a sign that even we as believers have been lulled into putting our hope in the wrong place. You see, that's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he said, Fix your hope completely upon the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to be people that put our hope into the right things. And sometimes God brings about these types of circumstances in order to make sure that his church, the church of his son, I should say, is sanctified. That the church of his son is reminded that their dependence is upon God and not upon man not upon our leaders. And not only that, when I think about the Old Testament and I think about the various examples that we have throughout the Old Testament of failed leaders for Israel, and even when Israel was sent into exile, I am reminded that Israel did not always have very good leaders. In fact, more often than not, they had very wicked leaders. But it was always by the sovereign will of God. God always accomplished his purposes through those leaders. And so it's going to be the same thing for us in America that whoever is officially announced as our president is going to be exactly the leader that God ordained for this nation. And we know the Bible is clear that we are to honor those who are put into authority above us. We are to obey unless we are called upon to do something against the Word of God. And we understand that there may be policies, there may be laws that very much go against the will of God that are coming our way. And this is where for us as a church, we not only put our hope into a future kingdom, but we let that hope in that future kingdom help to drive what we are to do here in this kingdom. The church is to be light and salt. In fact, I just got an email from one of our saints this morning talking about Ezekiel chapter 3 and the watchmen of Israel. If you ever read through Ezekiel, in chapter 3, Ezekiel is appointed as the watchman. What does that mean? Well, in any city, the watchman is the one who's watching for enemies who are coming. He sits upon a tower and he's looking out at the horizon. He's looking for any signs that an enemy force is coming. And when that watchman sees that enemy force, he is to alert the troops. He is to alert the king. He is alert to the city so that they can prepare, 
so that they can take cover, they can take shelter. But Ezekiel was told this as a watchman. He wasn't a literal watchman who was looking out for enemy forces. He was a spiritual watchman. And God was going to tell him of the judgment that would come if they did not repent. And that is going to be the same thing for this country, we as the church, we as believers. We must be the people who are willing to say when something is sin. We must be people who stand against unjust policies and laws such as abortion, murder of the unborn. We must be people that are unafraid of being able to call sin, sin, such as homosexuality, which is going to be much to the disappointment of the LGBTQ movement. But most importantly, as we do that, we are to lift up the word of God and show that we march to the orders of our God. And we also use that as an opportunity to be able to show them the word and show them that there is a greater hope than what we have in this nation, that everyone will have to stand in judgment before a holy God. And what that means is that we share the gospel. But in addition to all that, as we see the spiritual war more clearly, we are also to be in prayer. You see, the spiritual war is nothing if we are not in constant communion with our God. See, prayer shows that we, as God's people, understand our complete dependence upon God. See, what's happened in this nation over the years, we have been the most prosperous nation in the world. And even now, with our struggles, we are still up there amongst the most prosperous nations in the world, if not the most prosperous. But prosperity can have a way of making people trust in their own abilities. Prosperity has a way of making people trust in their own thinking, in their own wisdom, and not seek after God. So if judgment comes from God, and certainly I believe we've been seeing it already, the fact that we've seen the looting and the riots, the various forms of persecution, though it's not nearly as intense as it could be yet, that is all a form of God's judgment upon this nation. And it could very well be that the leader we receive is also a form of God's judgment. But we as the church, we recognize that God is watching over His own that He has a plan and a purpose for us, and so we must show our dependence. Unlike the world, we show our dependence upon God, not only by reading the Word, by following His commandments, but also by being in constant communion with Him, by being in prayer. And the world needs to see that. You see, up until now, and especially during times of prosperity, it's very easy for the world to look at believers and say, oh yeah, it's very easy to say you're a Christian when things are going well, right? Anyone who watches sporting events, you guys know this, you know, someone wins the championship or someone wins a boxing match or someone wins a major event and they go to the microphone and they thank God for the victory, which is right, it's a good thing to do. Question is, what do they do if they don't win? What do they do if God doesn't give them the victory? That's when proclaiming God, that's when expressing your faith in God matters a whole lot more. Because it's when things are not going well that your testimony is going to speak volumes. It's going to be much louder than it is when things are going well. 
And so as we return back to this passage in Ephesians, we have been going through the armor of God, and for this morning we are on part 11 of the armor of God, and we are now talking about prayer. We started that last week, and we will continue that this week. So my purpose is going to be to emphasize the vital role of prayer as it relates to spiritual warfare. And we're going to see five key aspects of prayer that make prayer effective for spiritual warfare. We saw the first three last week, but I'll review them this morning. But as we continue on, we'll just read through the passage going back to verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. This is the start of this final section of the book of Ephesians. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against these schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And then going to verse 14, we saw these six elements of that armor. Verse 14 says, stand firm, therefore. Remember, that's a defensive posture. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith from which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so once again, we are taking a look at five aspects, key aspects of prayer that make it effective for spiritual warfare. And just to review the first three, the full, first one was the fullness of prayer. And it starts with that simple phrase, with all prayer and petition. And you'll see in this sentence, you see the word all showing up four times. And that is for good reason. Paul is really emphasizing the importance of prayer as it relates to spiritual warfare. Now, prayer is not a piece of the armor. Prayer is not one of the weapons. But prayer is an indispensable part of spiritual warfare because as we engage in spiritual warfare, we cannot engage in spiritual warfare just based upon our own strength. Amen? We need the power of God. We need the Holy Spirit working within us, and we show that by continuing to trust and depend upon God our Father. And so with all prayer and petition is to say that we're to bring all prayers, all types of prayers, thanksgiving, praise, adoration, but also petition, which is our pleas, our requests. So we want to bring the fullness of prayer, but not just the fullness of prayer, but we also want to be knowledgeable and understand the frequency of prayer because it says with all prayer and petition we are to pray at all times we are to pray at all times 
Now, we talked about this last week. It doesn't mean that you are praying every single second of the day. Obviously, you have to sleep. Obviously, you have to drive. There are times where you're talking to your boss. You're in conversations. You're engaged in tasks. But we can certainly pray a lot more than we actually do. And as I mentioned last week, prayer doesn't require that we be on our knees with our eyes closed. In the Bible, you see numerous examples of prayer where sometimes they're on their knees, sometimes they're standing, sometimes they're walking. So we have a lot of examples of how prayer is done. And you can do prayer while your eyes are open, while your eyes are closed, at any time where you are not occupied with a task that requires your mental facilities. So we can be praying at all times, and when you really are aware of the spiritual war, when you are staying alert to all that's going on, then you will understand that there is no shortage of needs in the world and amongst the church, amongst the body of Christ. Your fellow saints need prayer. You need prayer. Your family needs prayer. The world needs prayer. Our leaders need prayer. Our missionaries need prayer. There is much prayer that is needed, and there can be times of prayer where you are spending time just praising God. You know, sometimes you see these beautiful scenes of God's handiwork, right? When you look out into the sky and you see a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise. Even last early, earlier this year when Alice and I went to the desert, we took a trip out to the desert, and before moving out here, I would not have thought that the desert could be so beautiful. But we went out there, and as the sun was going down, and, you know, you see all the mountains, and Alice was taking pictures of the various plants and the flowers, and she was taking us some very close zoom-in shots. And some of these flowers, which you can barely see with the human eye, when you really zoom in on them, it is amazing God's handiwork in that flower, is it not? Something as small as a tiny flower that you can barely see with the human eye. You can take that moment when you see that and say, God, awesome are your works. And this is a fallen world. We are living in a fallen world, and yet we are blessed to be able to see these beautiful visions, to be able to see these sunsets and these sunrises, to be able to experience the wondrous majesty of God's creation, even in a fallen world. And if it's beautiful here, imagine how much better it's going to be when we are no longer in a fallen world, but we are in an eternal kingdom where we get to experience and witness God's unceasing and endless creativity and majesty forever and ever. And we could go every single day in eternity and probably never see the same thing each day, see something new each and every single day. That is the majesty of God. And so we want to be in prayer at all times, whether it's praise, whether it's petition, whether you're just adoring and, and worshiping the Lord, giving thanks for what He has done in your life. And there is much to give thanks for, right? You know, I mentioned last week we often don't appreciate what we have until it's taken away from us. But what's even better than waiting for something to be taken away from us is to actually be thankful for it now. Because that's what happened in the, with the Israelites in the Old Testament. They started becoming comfortable in the promised land. They were comfortable with the prosperity God gave them. They were comfortable with the gifts and abilities that God gave them. And they stopped worshiping the God who provided all those things. But we not only talked about the fullness and the frequency of prayer, but we also talked about the power 
of prayer. The power of prayer is found in the middle of this verse. When we read, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. In the Spirit. And that is in reference to the Holy Spirit. That means we want to be praying in the realm of the Holy Spirit. And there are multiple ways that we do this. And we talked about this. This is just review from last week. But we want to have a mindfulness of God, not speaking in just meaningless repetition, not seeking the approval of men, not seeking to exalt oneself. We want to recognize our full dependence upon God. We want to avoid grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. And we want to conform our will to God's will. And let me just stop here for just a moment. Sometimes people ask, and this is a very, very common question, if God knows everything, why do we have to pray? God knows everything. He is in total control. He has already ordained the end from the beginning. There is nothing that can thwart His sovereign purposes, so why pray? Well, I would ask you to look at our own Savior, Jesus Christ, as an example. Of all people that didn't need to pray, you would think it would be Jesus Christ. Jesus, this is God in human flesh, right? And of course, God the Father is going to meet all the needs of God the Son. God the Father's plan is for Jesus Christ and to come and to be the fulfillment of all the great promises that we see throughout the Old Testament. But Jesus Christ was in constant prayer. He prayed unceasingly. Before choosing the 12 disciples, he was up all night in prayer. So you will see as you follow his ministry that he was constantly in prayer. And when you look at the apostles, the disciples, when you look at the apostle Paul, even when you read through his letters, you cannot read through a single letter without him mentioning how he is praying for the church. So we look at our examples who were great men of God and recognize that they were men of prayer. And I can tell you just from my own personal experience, the most godliest men and women that I know are prayer warriors. You see, the value of prayer is that prayer is not necessarily us changing God because God doesn't change. Prayer is not us changing the will of God because God's will doesn't change. But prayer is that time for us to commune with God, to spend time with God. It's you as parents, when you have children, you're always going to meet their needs, so why should they talk to you? right? But you want them to talk to you. You want to be in a relationship with them. You want to build that relationship with them. It's the same thing with God our Father. And let me tell you, when you think about all of your attachments in this world, you think about where your love is, whether it's with family members or friends or with your jobs or your home or whatever earthly attachments you might have. Even if it's with people, there is no relationship that should be more important to the Christian than the relationship we have with God. Second place is not even close. Not even close. And so we need to value that relationship and we need to look at prayer as being something that we need. We need to be in communion with our Lord. And the more that we're in communion with our Lord, the more we are praying with God's will in mind. Here's the awesome effect of that, is that we become more like God. We become more like Jesus Christ. We start to walk more and more like the faithful saints of Christ. It's just as Paul would often say, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. 
and to imitate the Lord is to be people of prayer. But to be in the Spirit also relates to our walk. In the book of Ephesians from chapter 4, between chapters 4 and 5, you see the commandment to walk or the statements of how we are to walk multiple times. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. Walk in love. Walk not as Gentiles. Walk in wisdom. So we see all these commands to walk, and that is what it means also to walk in the Spirit, to walk by the power of the Spirit. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, we saw this last week, but in verse 18, we see that commandment, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled by the Spirit. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, we saw the command to walk by the Spirit, that we are to walk by the Spirit rather than to walk by the flesh, and that the Spirit and the flesh are constantly at war against one another. And that is the spiritual war that is not just raging outside, but in particular the war that is inside. And then when we look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25, we see the fruit of the Spirit being described from verses 22 to 24. So when we're walking by the Spirit, we will have the fruit of the Spirit. You can use that list as a self-check. Are these the characteristics that people see in me? Do they see love? Do they see joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Or do they instead see the deeds of the flesh? And when we look at these characteristics and recognize that we do not bear these characteristics, that is a moment for us to go back to prayer, to repent and to remind ourselves that we are to walk in a manner that glorifies God. But the end there, verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And so that is what it means to be in the Spirit. And you remember Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, the Spirit also intercedes for us. We don't always know how we are to pray. And so the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And the Spirit, He searches our hearts, but He also knows the heart of God and God knows the Spirit. And so even as we don't know how to pray, the Spirit helps us. And we have that guarantee that even if we can't find the right words, God knows what it is you're thinking. God knows what it is that you're feeling. We just have to spend that time to be in communion with Him rather than being distracted by television or distracted by what's on the Internet, distracted by entertainment, by music or whatever it may be, and just focus upon our God. But that brings us now to the fourth key aspect of prayer that makes it effective for spiritual warfare, and that is the steadfastness of prayer. The steadfastness of prayer. Going back to verse 18, once again, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. When Paul says, with this in view, he's making reference to the beginning of verse 18. When he said, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And so knowing that that's what you are to do, with this in view, to that end, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. This is showing us the manner by which we are to do this, the manner by which we are to pray. 
And when we think about what it means to be on the alert, the Greek word really means to keep watch over, to be on guard, to look after, to care for. All right, so it's this idea that you, you can be a guard um, or you can be someone, you can be an elder watching over the flock. And just some examples in Mark chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus said, Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. And when he talks about the appointed time, he's talking about the time in which he's going to return. He's talking about those end times that are coming. And if there was ever a year that makes us wish the Lord would return, this was probably the year, right? But Jesus says, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. The idea is that you stay alert because Jesus could be coming back at any time. You know, it just reminds me back in high school when, you know, you've got classmates that throw these wild parties when their parents are away. And they expect that their parents will come back at a certain time. And sometimes the parents come back early and they see all that's going on because they were not expected. You know, for us, that should not be the case. For us, we should expect that Jesus will return at any time and we stay on the alert as a result. And then in Luke chapter 21, verse 36, similar verse, Jesus says, but keep on the alert at all times praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are about to take place. And he is talking about the judgment coming at the end times. What's interesting is that this phrase, to keep on the alert, in both these two verses, it looks forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is an aspect of this in which we are keeping alert, but we are keeping alert knowing that Jesus Christ could return at any time. And this idea of keeping alert, it is very much in line with what we had just read in Ephesians 5.18 when Paul said, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. To get drunk with wine, if you are drunk with wine, you are not able to be alert. But you are not to be drunk with wine, but rather you are to be filled by the Spirit. And then the other word, not just to be on the alert, but we see with all perseverance with all perseverance, and this can be perseverance, patience, persistence, and it's only used once, this word in the Greek, it's only used once in the book of Ephesians, right in this verse that we're taking a look at. But there is a similar word that shares the same root, that is uh, used as a verb. We look at um, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and we especially see this word showing up in the book of Acts with the start of the church. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we read, and this is in reference to the apostles, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And so perseverance has this idea of devotion. It has this idea of loyalty, that you're holding on to something, that you're continuing on. And not only that, but in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, this was after the very first sermon that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, he gives the first sermon, and then the church is born. I believe it was 3,000 of them that responded to the call to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what they did. Chapter 2, verse 42 said they were continually, and here's that word again, devoting themselves. 
And so this word for perseverance or this shared root with perseverance is being used here to say continually devoting, just like chapter 1, verse 14, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That is what the church does. It devotes itself to the teaching. It devotes itself to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is talking about the Lord's table, and to prayer. And as we've taken a look at just the meaning of those two words, look at the emphasis as we look again at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And I have this numbered now. That verse, I have three elements numbered. And let's read this again. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance. So we see in three different ways how Paul is emphasizing that this is to be an ongoing activity, that we are to do this continually. He is stressing this three different times. Pray at all times. Be on the alert and do it with all perseverance. You see, to be on the alert is to be alert, but with all perseverance is this idea that you're going to endure all the way till the time of his return that you're going to endure through that activity. And you guys, you know, at the workplace, you know, when you're out in the field or whether you're working with a corporation as I had, you know, you work with many different kinds of people and the people that you appreciate the most are the ones who work hard. And working hard doesn't mean that you just put your all in for about 10 minutes. But it means that from the start of your shift to the end of your shift, you do everything you can to get the job done. And you appreciate people who are like that. But for us as Christians, we are to be like that really throughout the duration of our lives until the end comes or when Jesus returns, whichever comes first. So we see this emphasis that we are to continually be in prayer. We are to be on the alert and also this idea of being on the alert. We're in the spiritual war, but we're on the alert always for prayer requests, for things that need to be prayed for for opportunities to give praise to God, for opportunities to give thanks to God. You know, you've been praying for some sort of deliverance in a situation, and it happens. When you see the nation in turmoil, that's an opportunity to pray to God. God, help me to be a light. Help me to be salt. Help me to have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone in the world whose hope is misplaced. So there are plenty of opportunities, and especially within the church, there are plenty of opportunities. So we see that emphasis to pray at all times. And of course, that reminds me also of 1 Thessalonians 5.17, when Paul said, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So this is a common theme throughout the scriptures. But that not only covers the steadfastness of prayer, but now we get to the fifth and final key aspect. The fifth and final key aspect of prayer that makes it effective for spiritual warfare, and that is the intercessions of prayer. The intercessions of prayer. As we get to the end of verse 18, we read that phrase, for all the saints. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We as believers, we can be very self-centered. We can be very individualistic. 
We can be caught up just in our own world and in our own sorrows and in the ways that our desires or wants or needs are not being met. And when we do that, we end up taking our focus off of where it should be, and that's upon others, especially others within the church. This is being addressed to the church. And in particular, Paul is saying, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Who are the saints? You guys. Anyone who has put his or her faith into the Lord Jesus Christ is a saint. And we are to be in prayer for all the saints. When you see a fellow brother and sister in Christ struggling with a certain struggle, when you see them depressed or anxious or worried or a certain trial has come their way, someone that they love is very sick, or maybe they themselves are going through physical issues that they've never had to face before. But we recognize that even in those difficult circumstances that God is still in control and we continue to go to Him. We have been praying continually for many of your needs that have been on the prayer list. Requests for salvation for your children, for family members. Requests for deliverance from certain physical trials. And this is also a reminder that this is why the church exists. You see, when we were saved, we were not saved so that we can just go and live individually our best life now. We were saved in order that we would be baptized into the body of Christ, which is the church, that we would be a part of the church, that we would be together, worshiping together, fellowshipping together, keeping one another accountable, encouraging one another, building one another up, confronting and rebuking when necessary, but also praying constantly for each other. This is what is expected as part of the church. And when people are not in church, when people are not a part of a body of Christ, not a part of a local body, how are they going to pray for the saints? Even some of you, you've been here and you don't know your fellow brothers and sisters all that well. We have a big prayer list. That's why we meet on Friday mornings to go over it. And if you're not able to come on Friday mornings, pick up a copy of it or ask Penny to email you a copy of that prayer list and pray for your fellow saints within the church. So this is part of what it means to be part of the church, that we are not only dependent upon God individually, but we recognize our dependence upon God as a corporate body, as a functioning body of Christ. And we see examples of this in the book of Ephesians itself. As I mentioned, you can't go into any letter from Paul. You cannot go into any letter from Paul without reading some prayer that he has for the church, how he is praying for the church. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, he writes, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Paul gave thanks for the believers in Ephesus. In his prayers, we see right there thanksgiving. And then in chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name 
that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. You know what Paul is praying for here? He wants you to be strengthened in the inner man. How are you strengthened in the inner man? By the power of the Holy Spirit, as you are walking with God and as you are growing in your knowledge of God's Word. He wants you to be strengthened on the inside. And here is the reason, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That is an awesome prayer. Sometimes we wonder, I don't know what to pray. Look at the Scriptures. The Scriptures are filled with examples of prayer from the Apostle Paul, from the other disciples, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament, you can read many examples there. Because when the saints prayed to God, they prayed with God's will. And sometimes we lose sight of what's God's will because we're so focused on what our will is. Remember what Jesus Christ said in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was praying. He said, not my will, but whose will? Your will be done. And even in the Old Testament, the prophet and priest and judge, Samuel, he was the last judge of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 20 to 25, at some point during Samuel's ministry, the nation of Israel asked for a king. They demanded a king. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like the rest of the nations around it. And they did it in a very sinful way without regard to God as their true king. And so Samuel is addressing them and he rebukes them. But he also says this in chapter 12, verse 20. Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. And that is true in every age, and that is especially true even now, that we can go after futile things. Especially in this world when it comes to politics, when it comes to the election, when it comes to policies, when it comes to how this nation is being guided, we can put our hope into the temporal rather than the eternal. And so we too want to be sure that we are not going after futile things. And verse 22 says, For the Lord will not abandon His people on account of His great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for Himself. But look at this, verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I love this statement because you know what Samuel is revealing? He is sinning against God if he is not praying for the people of God. You want to walk in the Spirit? You want to pray in the Spirit? Make sure that you're interceding for fellow saints and not just thinking about your needs or your own family needs. So he says, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth and with all of your heart. In truth and with all of your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. 
And that's still true for us. We should always be considering the great things that God has done for us, and that should drive us to thanksgiving. Verse 25, he finishes off by saying, but if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away, and we know what happened with King Saul. So as we think about just these verses we have gone over and these points, how is it that we should pray for others? And this is what I'm going to leave you with because often when we think about how to pray for others, we think in terms of temporal. We don't think in terms of what God's will is, but we think in terms of temporal or material. But beloved, when I pray for each and every one of you, this is what I'm praying for. I'm praying for spiritual growth. Because the test for me, when I stand before God and give an account for how I have shepherded this church, it's going to be your spiritual growth. How much have you grown in your walk with the Lord? How much have you grown into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ? How useful have you been for His will and purposes? I pray for discernment. Oh, this is a big one. In this nation, this is a big one. Because I am telling you that there are many, many false churches, many, many false teachers, many who are leading people astray in their preaching and teaching each week. But even at the highest level of our government, the spiritual advisor is someone that I would never want any of you to be listening to. Because there are many teachers that will lead you astray. There are many teachers who are not teaching the scriptures. And when they don't teach the scriptures, how are you going to be able to discern from good and evil? You need to be like a noble Berean. Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. The Bereans were noble. Why? Because even the great apostle Paul, they did not even take the great apostle Paul at his word. But what did they do? When they heard the teaching of this great apostle who had been appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ, they received it eagerly and searched the scriptures to make sure that what Paul was saying aligned with the truth. And that's why they were called noble. They were called noble by God because he was holding even God's greatest human servant at that time accountable to his own word. And we need to be doing the same thing. Whether you're listening to me, if you're listening to Terry, you're listening to any one of the teachers we have here, if you're listening to even John MacArthur, any of the pastors or preachers around America, you don't just take what they say at face value, but you examine the scriptures to make sure that what you are hearing aligns with what you are seeing. I pray that you trust in God's purposes. God has a purpose for everything. Romans 8.28 should be a memory verse for all of you. But we know God causes all things to come together for what? All things come together for good. For who? For those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. Not just some things. Not just pleasant things. Not just good times or prosperity. But all things, all times, they all come together for good but they come together for good for those who are called according to God's purpose, those who are His saints. And so we have to trust in God's purposes no matter what the situation is. And the Bible is filled 
with examples to us of how trials were meant for good. Just read through the story of Joseph at the end of Genesis. Joseph was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused by the wife of his master. He was sent to prison for a crime he did not commit. And it was only after 13 long years from the time that he was sold into slavery to the time that finally Pharaoh called him out to interpret his dreams that finally he started to see the light of day. And at the very end of Genesis, Joseph's brothers are so worried. They're so worried because Joseph is now second in command by the time you get to the end of the book of Genesis. And after their father, Jacob, dies, his brothers are so worried that Joseph now is going to exact revenge upon them because of what they did to him. And if you don't know this verse, write this down. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Because in that verse, that's when Joseph told his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph was able to look back at his life, see all the trials, and recognize that there was a good purpose through it. And even when we think about our salvation, our salvation was made possible by the greatest evil ever committed in the history of mankind. The greatest evil ever committed was sending a perfect man, the man of God, the son of God, to the cross to die for sins that he did not commit. And not only having sent him to the cross, but he was mocked, he was beaten, he was spat upon, was given false trial. People bore false witness against him. He had all kinds of wrong committed against him, and yet he went humbly to the cross. Why? In order to bring to us the greatest act of good we will ever know, and that is our salvation. And that is a reminder for those you here this morning, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the reason why you need to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because without Jesus, you are lost in your sin. Without Jesus, you're going to face judgment before a holy God, and there is no amount of good deeds or good works that will justify you before a holy God. Because all it takes is even just one sin to show that you're guilty of the entire law. Even if you've been angry at someone, even if you have lusted after someone, even if you've coveted something that didn't belong to you, you have proven yourself to be guilty before a holy God. And there is only one way to salvation because there is only one Jesus Christ. There is only one way to salvation because there is only one man who could have gone to the cross as a perfect man and bore all the sins of people who had put their faith into him. That's why there is no such thing as multiple religions leading to heaven. There is only one, and that's through Jesus Christ. I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. And so if you're here this morning, what it requires from you is to recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. To recognize that you must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You must repent. You must turn away from your sins and give your life to Christ. He becomes your Lord. He becomes your master. He becomes the one you follow. And it doesn't mean that you're going to do it perfectly. None of us do. But starting from that point by confessing, by repenting and confessing and believing in Christ, you will have the gift of eternal life. 
And I pray that for anyone here who does not know the Lord. I pray that for people in this community. I pray that for people in this county, in this valley. I pray that for the nation and the world. But people can only come to faith through the proclamation of the gospel. And so all it requires from you is to repent of your sins and put your belief into the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me go ahead and finish up this list in the ways that I pray for you. It's not just to trust in God's purposes, but it's also to have joy in all circumstances. Joy in all circumstances. You can write this down, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I love going through these verses. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. You can read it on your own time, but Paul talks about how he has found the secret to contentment whether he has had little, whether he has had a lot. His contentment is in Christ alone. I also pray for wise use of your time. You know, we have to redeem the time. We have to make sure that we're making the best use of our time. We have responsibilities. But we also have plenty of time to be able to worship the Lord, to call up fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to be in prayer, to be in communion, to be reading the Word, maybe to listening to a sermon again or listening to another sermon from another faithful preacher. I pray for salvation for your various family members. That's true for Alice and I. For Alice and I, we're both the only believers in each of our sides of the family. And we have shared the gospel many times, and at this point, they no longer want to hear it. But we continue to pray for their salvation. We continue to pray, recognizing that God is the one that's sovereign over that, and we ask God to open up their hearts to bring about circumstances that I might be able to share that word of truth with them again. Or sometimes people having heard the truth, maybe they go through a circumstance and then they remember the truth that they were told at a later time. And at that time, they repent. But it's true for our families. I know it's true for many of your families that you have family members that are in need of salvation. I pray for gospel opportunities. I pray that wherever you are, wherever you go, that you're meeting people, that people are seeing the light of God, the light of Jesus Christ in your life, that they're seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. They're seeing that even when things go wrong all around you, that you can still look up and say, how great is our God? And that reminds me of various people throughout my Christian life where I have heard of people that had terminal cancer. They're in the hospital. They ended up dying, but even in their last days, they would proclaim to the nurse that God is good. They would share the gospel. We knew a couple that both died around the same time. They were both in the hospital, but the husband went first. The wife went later, but the husband was really in his last days, and when he would hear another family in another room crying and weeping, he would look over at his wife and say, go over there and share the gospel with them. And that's what she would do. So I pray for gospel opportunities. And of course, I pray for your physical needs. But do you realize up until now, none of these needs have been physical. These have all been spiritually driven. Because when you look at the prayers that the apostles prayed for the church, when you look at the prayers that Jesus prayed for us, it was very rarely physical, but it was mostly and foremost spiritual. 
Because if you are spiritually growing, if you are able to find joy in your circumstances, if you are able to trust in God's purposes, if you're making a wise use of your time, if you're growing spiritually and you're able to discern good from evil, if you're having opportunities to share the gospel, then I know you are doing God's will. You are doing God's will. And of course, you can always go to our church prayer list to see a number of other prayer needs. And I would encourage you to do that. Pick up a prayer sheet. You can ask Penny if we don't have copies. She can print out copies or email them to you. But find those opportunities to pray for our fellow saints. And this also, by the way, is the reason why, and I wasn't planning on talking about this, but this is also why membership matters, why it's important for you to belong to a local body. I know that there are people that go church hopping. They go from church to church, and they never fully plant themselves in one church. But this is one of the reasons why we need to be planted as a part of one church, because we can't do the one another's faithfully. We can't do the one another's effectively, as effectively as we can, unless we are planted in a church. And so as you pick up that prayer list and you're looking at that prayer list, if there are people there that you don't know, ask someone. Get to know them. Find out who these people are. Get to know them. Talk to them. Let them know that you're praying for them. And as you come across saints who are in need of prayer, you can pray right there in the moment for them at any time. But it is always a blessing when someone is in need of prayer. It's always a blessing to actually hear the prayer. And so I'd encourage you to have the needs of your fellow brothers and sisters in mind as you're interceding for them. But all these things on the list, if you are looking for things to pray for, if you're not sure how to pray for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, start with that list. Because that's what I pray for when I pray for you. And for those that don't know Christ, you pray for their salvation. Pray for those opportunities. Pray that if necessary, that God would bring humbling circumstances into their life so that they would stop trusting in themselves and they would start looking for real answers. Because often that's what's needed to bring people to salvation. Pray unceasingly. Pray like your life depends upon it because it does. Pray knowing that the power of God is the power of God and not the power of man. Pray as a light to the world. Pray as a part of our spiritual warfare. Let me close up in prayer.